we're going to speak all about the topic of freedom, of liberation, of being set free. And I want to kick off by asking you this question this morning. Are you free? Are you free? Now, you might say, a bit early in the day to think about, <laughs> think about that. I'm, am I awake is more important. Um, are you free? Now, if you're here and you're not particularly religious, um, you might instinctively say yes, kind of quite quickly. You can understand why a religious person with kind of their God who knows their thoughts and the book that tells them what to do might feel quite restricted in that way. But you would say, yeah, I don't have that. I feel pretty free. You might be here and be a Christian, I guess most of us would be that, and because you're at the West Side, you guys are pretty switched on, you're pretty sharp, right? And you know your Bibles, and so you know, and you would be able to say, actually, Rich, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I'd say, oh, very good. And you'd say things like, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you'd even be able to join the dots up and say, the Spirit of the Lord lives in me, and if the Spirit of the Lord lives in me, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, then that means, yes, I am free. Boom. And I'd say, well done, very good. Um, So you might instinctively say, yes, I'm free, but I want to ask you this question now to take us a little bit deeper this morning. And that question is this, is that really true in your life? Are you really free? Are you living free? Are you living in liberty? We can say we're free, but are we free? Now, I don't know if this is just me, um, and I said this at the South site, and um, it's not just a little rhetorical thing to say for the sake of it, but when I said, I don't know if it's just me, I think I then got the sense maybe it was just me, which was slightly nerve-wracking, so I'm going to take the risk anyway. Um, Maybe the West side will help me out. I don't know if it's just me, but I can feel quite bound in my life to certain things. I can feel quite trapped, quite uh, stuck in certain thought patterns or uh, behaviours Do you know, this confession time, again, might just be me. Do you know, sometimes I do things in my life that I know are morally wrong. I know are experientially dreadful for me. They sap me of life. They sap me of joy. And yet somehow I get drawn in to doing them over and over again. We're free, but are we really living free? Uh, A few examples. None of us thinks that being glued to our smartphone is a great idea. You know, none of us set out at the start of the day with like a to-do list. And number one, make a list, tick. Number two, be on my smartphone all day. No one thinks that's a good idea. And yet we get drawn there, don't we? I don't have a smartphone, but I do have an iPad. And it's the same thing, right? We can get drawn in. You know, nobody thinks that it's totally liberating to be obsessed with other people's opinions of us, right? We know that's a bad idea. We, don't, we know that that just leads to despair. And yet, how many of us are stuck in that? How many of us churn over every interaction in our mind and are paralyzed by that? You know, nobody watches pornography because they think it's a really good idea. (laughs) From my experience chatting to people, Christian or not Christian, no one set out in life to do that. (laughs) We're free, but are we free? Because so many of us get drawn into these things. Now, I don't know what it is for you. It's not my place to say where you're bound. Um, and what things you do that you wish you didn't do, and what things you say you wish you didn't say. But I know for me, I'm not as free as I'd like to be, okay, this morning. I'm not as free as I think I can be. I'm not as free as the Word of God says I can be. And so this morning, I want to be really free, not just told I'm free, but feel and live in liberty. And if you want that, um, which you may or may not, um, 
Conveniently, thank you. Conveniently, um, Windows, Bill Gates, uh, whoever it is, um, and Judges chapter 6 um, have the answers for us today. Um, if you've got a phone or whatever, you're allowed to be glued to it if it's open on the Bible, um, or it will come up on the screen in a moment. Um, but Judges chapter 6 starts with people actually just like you and me. It can feel sometimes in Judges like there's a huge gap between us and their experience, and they're kind of fighting wars, and we're, you know, going to work, and it can feel a bit distant. But these people actually are just like us, because they, they're called the Israelites, they have been slaves past tense. Do you remember their story? They have been in Egypt. They've been slaves. They've been had physical chains on them. They were in slavery. But then God, in his miraculous power, comes into the situation and rescues them and brings them through the sea. Remember in the Exodus, and it makes a good film, Prince of Egypt, and maybe kind of the band struck up. You split the sea, so I, and they walk through. And God rescues them. They were, sorry, Sandy, just to nick your role for a moment, but you're welcome. Um, they walk through the sea and they were, they were slaves, but now they're set free by God. And they're set free into the promised land, a place that was described by God as being, as being flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what your views on milk and honey are, but in those days, that's the good stuff. And that's a sign of prosperity and uh, being satisfied and being fulfilled. And so these people were slaves but now they're free. But are they free? Are they really free? Look at the start of Judges chapter 6 and look where they've ended up. The Israelites, it says, made hiding places for themselves in the mountains. Just picture this, in the caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, these kind of neighboring places, and people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land, destroying crops. It's meant to be flowing with milk and honey and prosperity. As far away as Gaza, they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. Next slide. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. It's this language of attack. It's like the plagues all over again, but now done to Israel. They arrived on droves of camels, which I think is meant to be quite scary back then, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. It's this horrible picture, isn't it, that the freed people of God who would have been able to say, it is for freedom that Moses set us free, (laughs) but in their experience, they're living like animals, actually. I mean, who lives in caves normally? And they're not flowing with milk and honey, but they're starving, hungry. And you'd be right to think, how on earth have the freed people of God ended up in this situation? And uh, it's a complicated question in the Bible, how um, spiritual freedom comes about in your life. There's lots of uh, dimensions to that. But the answer that Judges gives consistently is this, that their enslavement is the aftermath of their idolatry. Of their idolatry. What's happened to them is like in every judge's story so far, they were made to worship, and that word just means revere or value most highly the true God who set them free. But what they've done is they've gone, no thanks, and they've turned and they've bowed down to worship, pinned all their hopes and dreams for life on false gods. In their case, it was things called the, the Baal 
the bars and the Asherah poles, like sticks with faces on. It's crazy talk, but they get drawn to something more tangible than this invisible God, and they bow down and they say, you're going to be the answer, this kind of false God. And the aftermath of their, of their idolatry is slavery. Uh, now, the same is true for each of us today. I don't know if you've bowed down to a wooden pole with a face drawn on it recently. Um, I, you know, you had an extra hour this morning. Maybe that's how, what, you did, what you did. I didn't do that. Um, I tried to work out why my kid hadn't realized there was an extra hour. Oh, um, but I, I, <laughs> yes, yes, preach. Yes, you rove. Come on. Um, but our situation, our enslavement is exactly the same, actually. Listen to um, David Foster Wallace. He's a, an author. Um, he's uh, no longer with us, but not a Christian, not a particularly religious guy. But he said this at a graduation ceremony in the States. He's uh, speaking to the kind of best and most beautiful and brightest and most brilliant people uh, who are graduating from this uni. And he just says this. There's no such thing as not worshipping. Okay, every seat here is filled by a worshipper this morning. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship, what to have at the top of our pile. An outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly is that not the story of our culture that when we've put sex and physical beauty to the top most of us feel unsatisfied and ugly it's enslaving and when time and age start showing you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you'll feel weak and afraid, and you will need, see how it's enslaving? You'll need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect. It's a rarely a kind of temptation for myself, sadly, but being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Do you see what he's saying there? He's not a Christian, he's not religious, but he's seen that if you live for, in his phrase, tap meaning, from these places instead of God, not only do they let you down, everybody knows that worshipping money lets you down. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. But what they do is they enslave you. Because if you worship money and money lets you down, you're left feeling empty and you need to go somewhere so you go back and it draws you in. If you worship sex and sexual sin as the place you're going to find satisfaction, it leaves you feeling empty but more than that, it enslaves you and it keeps you coming back for more. It keeps you coming back for more and it never satisfies and we become enslaved. And that's why we're often bound to our phones and we're obsessed with others' opinions of us and we're drawn to pornography or whatever it is because they never deliver and so we have to go back to them because we feel empty. And the aftermath of our idolatry is enslavement as well. Now, with all of that said, that kind of diagnoses the problem. The freed people of God get caught in idolatry, and it leads to them being enslaved again. If that's the problem, how can we really come free? How do we walk free? How do we get liberty in our life? And uh, you guys, I don't know if you feel particularly privileged to be here this morning, but let me tell you, you are privileged, because this morning is a bit of a coming-of-age day for me. I'm very excited. Um, this morning, my, the rest of my talk has not three, but five points. 
Thank you, Lord. It's just too much. I know. Um, and my points don't uh, begin with the same letter as each other, which would have been cool. But better than that, they spell a word. Oh, come on, move over, Jonathan Bell. That is amazing. That is amazing. I'm so proud of myself. Um, now, the reason I've done that, um, I have to flag it up because it is a bit sickly, isn't it? And whenever I see a preacher spelled out a word, I just want to leave because it's so embarrassing. Uh, but the reason I'm telling you it, and the reason I've done it like this, is not just to feel smug, though nailed it. Um, I tell you that so that if tonight you feel drawn back in to idolatry, drawn back in by those patterns again, you might, by God's grace, remember these five steps and take yourself through them. This is not so much for now. This is for tonight and tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon when we're drawn back in. And so I'm willing to fall on my sword and take the hit of being the embarrassing preacher guy with five points that's about a word. If some of you remember this in your life, and the word is chase, okay? And how you remember it is, we're going to chase away our idols. Good? Oh, I mean, it's not great, is it? But we're going to do it anyway. So the first step to come free from the enslaving power of idols is found in verse 6. Uh, it will come up on the screen. At the end of verse 6, stuck in their slavery, stuck in smartphone or pornography or people's opinion addiction, they cry out to the Lord for help. They cry out to the Lord for help. They wave their hands, they make a noise, they shout, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. God, I'm stuck. I've done it again. I'm starving, hungry. Help. Help. They cry out for help. And so that's your first step to come free from your idols, to chase away your idolatry. Cry out for help. Now, I tend not to do this when um, I'm stuck in sin. Um, Again, might just be me. But I tend to do a few things if I notice that I'm struggling again in a certain sin or thought or whatever. Uh, The first thing I try and do is just distract myself. So I just whip out my iPad and I, and I, I read everything on BBC News. I read everything. I, beca- I could tell you every point on the Birmingham and Black Country tab of BBC News. I just, just try and do something to take my mind off there because I'm too afraid to go back to God again for help. So I just distract myself. All what I do, like I just hinted at there, is I think I've cried out for help on this issue so many times before. <laughs> I've, you know, I've done the I need a bit of help, God, and it's not worked. And I just can't bring myself to go through this again. I'm just going to kind of pretend. Um, but let me just say this. If you're caught in quicksand, okay, hopefully not something that's going to happen to us today. If you're caught in quicksand and you're sinking and you're, it's go, you're going down and down and down and down, you've got seconds left, you're not going to get your smartphone out and just distract yourself, are you? I know I'll do. I'll just browse my smartphone. That is not what you're going to do. You're going to shout for help, aren't you? And if you're sinking in quicksand and you admit that recently, but perhaps in the last term, you've been stuck in quicksand a little bit, you're a bit of a serial quicksander. You know, you've kind of struggled with that in, in your time quite a bit. You're not going to say, well, it's beyond me to ask for help now, isn't it? You, what are you going to do? You're going to wave your hands and yell for help. And that's what we must do if we feel caught in a particular pattern, cry out for help. And so that's kind of what they do. That's what the... Um, That's what the Israelites do. And here God does what he does to every desperate cry for help from one of his children. He responds. He always responds to desperate cries for help. And uh, interestingly, though, whereas in every other judge's story, he has responded by raising up uh, a judge 
So uh, these guys who kind of come here with their big sword and they fight off the enemy. He does something different here in Judges chapter 6. It says in verse 7, they cried out to the Lord because of Midian. The Lord sent a prophet, not a judge, not a big hero to save the day, but a prophet, a spokesperson, someone to bring them the words of God. They're in a mess, right? And God knows what I need to do is not just bring a rescue. I need to bring revelation. I need to bring someone to communicate to them the words of God. And so point number two, to come free from your idols, cry out for help, hear the words of God. Now, I don't know how you'd feel if you're sitting in a cave living like a a, a pack of wolves and you're under attack from these neighboring countries and you're starving hungry and you cry out to God and God sends a little guy with a little Bible study or something. I'm just going to do some going to do a little sermon or someone who comes with a prophetic word and says I just feel like you know you're you know you know there's like a river and there's a butterfly and and you think I don't need a prophecy I need help <laughs> right but look at the wisdom of God here look what he says to them he says verse 8 this is what the Lord the God of Israel says I brought you up out of slavery Egypt I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. This is not a little spiritual tummy tickle, because just kind of, you know, something to do. We'll have a little Bible study. This is the God of heaven and earth revealing himself, saying, do you remember who you're dealing with here? Do you think that you're stuck in your idolatry? You think you can't come free? I bought you out of slavery. I rescued you from all who oppressed you. Remember my mighty acts. I drove out your enemies. I can do it again. Remember who I am. God knows that if you're going to fight false gods in your life, you have to remember the true God. It's no good just going to war on idols. You need to remember the true God. And so we need to hear the words of God. And uh, that's what they do. They listen to the little prophet guy, I'm sure. And uh, the problem, though, is that they're still enslaved, right? They're still under attack from these enemy forces. And so the story doesn't stop here. Because you know, it's all through the Bible. The story of God's people never, ever, ever stops while they're still enslaved. There's always a new chapter if there's slavery. And it's true in your life as well. And so we carry on. What else does God do here? Now what he does is he does bring a judge he does bring a deliverer a rescuer a mighty man uh, and his name is perhaps the most famous one of all he raises up Gideon we heard of Gideon Gideon's like the guy with the fleeces or something we're not going to look at that today Um, we're doing Gideon not just today but next week and the week after as well or for three weeks I don't know what the order is and how it works but uh, which is great for me because I can kind of say what I want and then Johnny and Jonathan will kind of pick up the mess after and they'll cover it for the next few chapters Um, But Gideon is raised up, and you might think, good news. Now the big guy, the tough guy, Anthony Joshua from last night, the big judge is going to come and fight off all of the enemies of God's people. Just check out this guy who God (laughs) raises up. Verse 11. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. You say, Rich, I have no idea what point you're trying to make with that. That's, (laughs) That's fine. But what this is saying is the guy who God raises up to fight the enemy is not a Royal Marine or the heavyweight champion of the world or someone who is well strong to fight off idols. This guy is baking in a hole in the ground because he's as terrified as everybody else. That's not a pop at baking. 
I love to bake. I made some cakes the other week. I was described uh, at Emerge that they were quite dense. And uh, I won't say who said, well, that's right, because you're a bit dense, Rich. But it was Chelsea, so thanks very much, yeah. Um, so I love baking. Uh, it's not, it's not a go, having a go at baking, okay? But what this shows is that Gideon is not an outside hero coming in with strength. He's in the problem himself. He's hiding. He's terrified. He's in the ground because he's just as much in trouble. And he's scared. And no wonder he's scared. Verse 15 Uh, He describes himself to God. We think accurately. Don't think he's just being British about it. He says, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my whole family. Essentially, what he's saying is, I'm a nobody. If you lined up all the people of earth in kind of Russian dolls, right? Where am I? You open the smallest one. That's my tribe. You go through. You open. That's my clan. You go through. Where's the smallest one? That's my family. You go through. Are you the big guy in the front? No, I'm the, small, I'm the smallest guy. I have no strength in myself for this fight at all. And now look at verse 12. Verse 12 is so good. Verse 12 is your verse for today. All right, this is amazing. Look what God says. Uh, The angel of the Lord, heaven's spokesman in this moment, calls him mighty hero. Other translations have it as mighty man of valor. And it growls when you read it. Mighty warrior. And I mean, at this point, this is quite hilarious. People have literally applied this in church history, saying what's happening is that God is being sarcastic um, because, <laughs> because he's so obviously not a mighty hero. It's like you go up to a little toddler and you're like, hey, tough guy, how's it going, tough guy? And it's not true, but you're taking the mick. <laughs> is that what God's saying to Gideon as he hides in the ground? That is not what's going on. What's going on is that Gideon and we, point three, which does begin with A, you're following along, you need to accept your God-given identity. If you're going to fight sin, you're going to fight idolatry, you need to accept your God-given identity. Everything in this story is screaming over Gideon, weakling, loser, hiding, defeat is certain, oppressed, chained, enslaved, fearful. And you know, the same is true of me when I'm fighting sin or potentially you, I don't know, it might just be me. But what sin says to me is not just, hey, Rich, come and do this. But it says, hey, Rich, come and do this because you always do this. This is who you are, mate. This is the sort of thing you do. This is the sort of thing you think. This is who you are. Come on, come on, come on. You pretended to be all Christian when you're preaching at Westside. Come on, come on, come on, come back. This is who you really are. And sin shouts over us all these things. But here, Gideon, hiding in the hole in the ground with his baking gear... And heaven shouts over him, no, that is not true. You are a mighty hero. You are a mighty hero. If you belong to God, then Gideon, I as God, I get to define you. I get to say who you are. I get to declare what is real about you. Not your circumstances, not your tendencies, not your past, not your temptations, but me. Because you're mine. And you know, the same is absolutely true of you and me this morning. God shouts over us these words, new creation, beloved, accepted, holy, child, son, daughter, mine. That's what heaven says over you. This is not 
give yourself a little pep talk in the mirror. Get up and look in the mirror and say, right, I feel bad, but I'm a winner. Come on. Ding. Like, it's not a little self-motivation pep talk. This is heaven speaking over you. Mighty warrior in this battle. Holy and you say, well, do you know what? I feel like I'm more of a sinner. And, you know, Paul, Paul says I'm the, I'm the chief of sinners. So really, that's who I am because Paul even admits it. Do you know, Paul starts almost every letter in the New Testament that he's about to correct all this sin in the church. And he starts it, dear God's people, holy and beloved in Christ, the faithful people in Jesus. That is who we are. We are not the slaves of Egypt. We have been set free we are those people who, if you imagine a prison, we're in our cell, we've got our chains on, and uh, there's a noise. You've got a visitor, mate. All right. Jesus Christ turns up. He walks in. He breaks off the chains. He picks you up on his shoulders. He walks out. Uh, doors open. He walks out of the prison. What is it? Who storms the prison and sets men free? Uh, yeah. Again, sorry, Sanju, nicking your job. He sets us free. He storms the prison. He breaks the chains. We are free. Now, what we do when we sin, and what I do when I'm stuck in all this stuff in my head or getting drawn back into patterns, is I do this. I miss my cell. Oh, it's so comfy with its iron bed and uh, dingy mold. I miss it so much. And I walk back in. Hi, lads. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. Get back into my cell. And I pick up some broken chains that have been obliterated by Jesus, and I put them back onto myself, and I go, oh, comfortable. I remember these. Oh, it feels like good old days. Got it? But just make no mistake, when we do that, those chains are broken. That is not who we are. We're the freed people of God trying to enslave ourselves again, but it's not who you are. And the Christian ethic, to go all RE on us, how to live as a Christian is simply this. Now, in light of who you are, be who you are. You're holy, so just grow into that. Be holy. You're free, so let's remember that and let's try and live in that. We are the freed people of God. And so to fight sin, we've got to accept our God-given identity. And so uh, as we kind of begin to kind of, you know, aim for a finish soon. You might expect that Gideon now, this mighty hero, stands up and goes, right, I'm going to fight all of these enemies and it's going to be fine. But Gideon is, is just like me. He's so, I love how the Bible is so realistic. He's so slow to believe what God says about him. And uh, I don't know if you've ever bought any new clothes and you've struggled to kind of get used to them or fit into them or kind of feel like they're yours. That's like our new identity. God says, mighty hero, but it takes a bit of time to grow into it. And Gideon's just the same. So he starts doubting, God, I can't do it. I can't do anything. Oh. And God says to him two things. He says, I am sending you, Gideon, for this fight. And then he says, I am with you, Gideon, in this fight. He promises him in the battle the authority of God and the presence of God for the fight. And the same is true in your fight to chase away your idols, which is why point four, getting slightly more tenuous now, you have to stand on God's battle promises. You have to stand on God's battle promises. Now just uh, imagine with me, I don't know if you've ever been bullied um, or you've ever been a bully. Uh, both of those have happened to me. Um, imagine your sort of stereotypical bully and imagine going up to the bully's door and knocking on the door on your own. You open the door and can you see the bully arrogantly towering over you, looking strong, okay? He's your idol, okay? He's the thing that's enslaving you. 
Now imagine that you go up to the same door and you knock on the door and you have on your chest the presidential seal of approval from the highest office of power on this planet. And behind you, you have the New Zealand rugby team doing the hacker. Okay, all right. Now look in the eyes of your bully and what's he doing? Does he look tough anymore? <laughs> he is... He's going to run away. There's a few ways I could put that. But he's terrified, isn't he? He's terrified. Because if you go into a fight with authority and the presence of a mighty power with you, you've got a chance in this fight. And you don't have the presidential seal of approval, thank the Lord. You have Yahweh commissioning you for this fight. I send you to this fight against your idols. And you don't have the hacker, scary as it is. You have the Lord of Heaven's armies, not just behind you, but in you. By the Spirit. Now, you are not bound to lose your fight against sin. <laughs> you've got a chance today because you've got heaven sending you and with you. Now, last point after standing on God's battle promises. Uh, and this next point does begin with E. This was a real struggle to get it to begin with E. And um, maybe you can tell me later whether you'd have better ways of making it begin with E. Um, but God asked Gideon to do something. And it sounds slightly odd, but this is our kind of last point. And, uh, and this is really the key to stepping into liberty. This is the final piece of the puzzle. Yeah, God says to Gideon, do this. And this will sound odd and we'll try and explain it um, before we're done. He says, pull down your father's altar to Baal, this false god, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Beat your idols, chop them down. And then he says, then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. See what he's saying? Cutting down your idols is only half the battle. How you get into freedom is you cut down the idols and you use them as fuel to worship me. That's how you come free. When you get power off the top of your pile, but don't just stop there, you get God back on the top of your path. That you beat false worship with true worship. That you beat unholy worship with holy worship. That you come free from gods that bleed you dry by worshipping again the God that bleeds for you. You come free from gods that never, ever, ever deliver by worshipping the God that never fails. You engage in true worship. And this is because idols can't be removed. Do you know they can only be replaced? You've got to worship something. So you can't just say, I'm, gonna, I'm done with power. You have to fill that void. Fill it with the God who bleeds for you. And uh, this is what I'm going to say here. You ready? This is cringe. Engulf, engulf <laughs> your idols with true worship, in true worship. You know, we often say, don't we, as I kind of finish, we say you've got to have your heart right to worship. When you come into church, you must have your heart right to engage in worship. And that might be true. That might be worth saying, I'm sure. But, you know, something else that happens when I worship, my heart gets right. When I worship, my heart remembers the true God and it begins to put God back to, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, yes, praise the Lord from whom all blessings flow. Right. So if you come to church, you come to Westside, you're anything like me, 
and you don't always have your heart totally ablaze for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, please don't sit out. Please don't excuse yourself for the morning. That engaging worship, worship is warfare, and it weans your soul off little gods when you thank the Lord for who he is. Engulf your idols in true worship. And it's what Gideon does. Just jump to the last slide. It's what Gideon does. And uh, Gideon, as I kind of land this, gets given a nickname, um, which is not a particularly encouraging nickname, and I'm not going to call any of you it. Don't worry. Um, but he gets called, uh, go to, yeah, the verse, whatever it is. There you go. From then on, Gideon was called Jerob Baal, which means let Baal contend with him. Which basically means let idols come after you all the days of your life, which doesn't feel particularly <laughs> encouraging. So that's where we'll land. What essentially is going on here is Gideon has become someone who instead of being hiding in the ground, enslaved by idols, is a idol fighter he's someone who's known in the town for fighting idols he's a baal basher (laughs) right and you can be a baal basher you don't have to live bound in slavery to the same old thing for the rest of your life cry out for help hear the words of god accept your god-given identity Stand on God's battle promises and engulf your idols in true worship. There you go. I remembered it. You can remember it too tonight when you're struggling. So walk yourself through that when you're enslaved again, when you're putting those chains back on you. Chase those idols away. Do you want to just stand with me for a moment and I'll just lead us in prayer. Lord God, we arrive uh, before you now. Uh, aware that the freedom that you've won for us is sometimes a bit of a distant thing in our lives. We can put our chains back on so often, Lord. We get drawn back in. Lord, I want to confess that to you. And I want to cry out for help. Lord God, help me. Help us, God. Help us. These ways that we get drawn away from you, Lord, help us. Lord God, we want to hear who you are. We want you to reveal yourself to us. We want to remember who we are. We want to accept our God-given identity that you say over us, holy. You say, even after I've failed a thousand times, again, you don't condemn me. You say, my son, who I love. Now be who you are, Rich. Be who you are. Fight again. Lord God, and that you don't just kick me out the door saying, go on then, but you come with me and you send me and I have you living in me. I'm not bound to lose these fights. I have strength from heaven in me. Lord God, and in all of this, we want to lift our eyes from our little idols. Power. Oh, oh, money. Oh, right. Oh, sex. Oh, okay. No, we lift our eyes to the God of heaven and earth. To the God who doesn't bleed us dry, but bleeds for us. Who gives us everything. Lord God, we worship you. Why would we worship a little wooden thing with a little face on it? Why would we worship our own power when we can worship you for your power? Why would we settle for satisfaction in earthly things? Can taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh Lord, we want to engage again with you. 
We want to engage again in worship, not because our hearts are perfectly right, but to get them more right. We want to engage in war. I'm going to praise the Lord, but I'm drawn to this. No, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to put my idols in their proper place as gifts of God, not as God themselves. Lord God, we exalt you. You're the the God from whom all blessings flow. We have 10,000 reasons to praise your name, and we're not going to praise any of the 10,000 reasons. We're going to praise the giver, the God of heaven and earth, who pours out his kindness, ultimately in Jesus, as he bleeds for us. Lord, you you are everything to us. And when we're in our right minds, you are everything to us, Lord. Wean us, wean us off our idols, Lord God. Please, Holy Spirit, lift our eyes again. And we only ask for daily bread. We've got to engage in this fight every day, but we ask for right now, wean us off our idols. Let this worship time now be a time of warfare where hearts that are wobbling remember the true God again and put you in your rightful place. Amen.